Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. On today's show, we are continuing our series, This Kid Doesn't Play, Solutions for Common Problems. And we're all the way up to part six of this series. And today we're going to be talking about difficulty with transitions. Now, let me just say... There's a lot to talk about in this topic, and last week we kind of left off here because we didn't have enough time to thoroughly address this topic, but that's what we're going to do today. Um, And if you've not listened to previous shows, usually I give a big spiel about going back and listening to other shows, but I think this show is so important and so timely and so applicable, applicable, however you want to say that word, to working with toddlers that I completely get why why some people may scroll through the show topic list and say difficulty with transitions that's it I want to listen to this so listen to this show even if you've not gone back and listened to the previous ones and then go back and pick it up because this stuff is really really important and I've gotten such great feedback from via email from people who listen and have said you know just that little strategy that little tip really helped kind of turn things around for me because it made me as the adult feel like there's something I can do for this kid I don't have to ignore this problem I don't have to pretend that it's just going to get better doing the same thing over and over and over I can just keep doing it and one day he'll get it that never works (laughs) I don't have to um, just stop playing with him because this is not working it's it's really applying these strategies and these recommendations can really be the pivot point for lots and lots of children because if if you can get him to do one play routine with you or get through a whole session or if you're a parent listening to the show get through several little episodes of playing with you without the big problem whatever that's happened to be whether he runs away whether he shuts down whether he gets aggressive like we talked about on last week's show if you can get through a couple of different play routines and build some successes he feels better because he hasn't you know it's been fun and nothing unpleasant has happened and he's gotten to continue to play and all that but you feel better because you feel more in control of the situation you feel like man I know what to do boy that really worked Oh, my goodness, this was better. Oh, gosh, I can do it. I can keep going here. So let me just say, if that's you, sometimes it does just take one little tip, one little change to really turn the tide on things not going very well with a child that you are trying desperately to help. So I love the feedback that I've gotten about this series. If that's been you, if you've sent me an email about it, thank you. I'm a words person, so boy, I love reading that and your success story. So uh, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. All right, so let's move on and talk about difficulty with transition. So remember in this model that we've been using to discuss problems that we encounter with children in play, remember what we've been doing. We've been talking about the specific problem. Then we talk about related problems like because here's the deal. Sometimes you might listen and say, 
well, my child or this child that I'm working with doesn't really have difficulty with transitions. And then you hear me describe what it could look like, and you say, oh, yeah, he does have that. So sometimes on the first little listen or the first time you're thinking about something, you may miss that a kid that you're concerned about actually does do this. You're just thinking about something else. You're calling it something else. You haven't even really realized, hmm, that, that's what's going on here. So we'll talk about similar or related situations. We talk about possible explanations for why we're seeing a child behave this way or why the problem could be occurring. And again, this provides such great relief sometimes for a parent because you're realizing he's not just doing this to be bad or my, my little girl's not just trying to get under my skin here you realize, gosh, this is a part of her developmental delay or this is a part of a diagnosis like autism or this is just part of being two and three, being a toddler. So we'll talk about the explanations because, again, you need information and the more you know, the better you do. And then we go on and talk about real-life practical solutions. And I try to give you more than one. Today we're going to talk about several things that you can try for a child who's having a lot of difficulty making transitions and, and moving on to the next thing. So let's talk about what this might look like. And let me remind you that this information is based on the last chapter in my book, my therapy manual, Teach Me to Play With You. And so if you need a written copy of that, be sure that you, you can order that on my website at teachmetotalk.com. And be sure to use the coupon code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and that'll save you 10 bucks off that book. And let me also mention that this week right now, if you're listening in current time, it's March 17th, 2017, and these shows live on, you know, forever because they're on the Internet. And sometimes people will write me, you know, we're up to show number, what, 308, I think, and they'll say, I have a question about show number 14 or 26 or 87, and I have to go back and think, wow, you know, oh, what was that even about? And have to really kind of refresh my memory with that. Uh, but if you are listening right now in current time, this week we are running a big sale on all of my therapy manuals. So Teach Me to Play With You, which is the, the book that this information is from, Teach Me to Talk the Therapy Manual, and then uh, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers. So you can get a great deal on all three of those books if you buy them at one time, and you'll get a free online one-hour video about creating verbal routines. And to do that, to get that special deal, um, be a part of my email list. And you can sign up for that or subscribe at teachmetotalk.com. Scroll down, click in the green banner. There, there you'll get a confirmation email and then you'll click on that link. You'll also get a free ebook that explains speech language development, which is really a great tool if you're a parent. And you'll understand all of the facets, uh, all the things that have to happen first before a child can really learn how to use words meaningfully. If you're a therapist, it's a great foundation for sharing with parents so that they understand it's not all about talking. A lot of things have to have to be in place first before we can expect a child to really, really, really be able to pop out those first words and certainly to participate in everyday interaction, in conversation, understand what we say to him, and then be able to respond back to us. So that's a super, super way to uh, get that information. So sign up, and you'll be on the email list, and you'll have access to all of those special sales that aren't available um, anywhere else. But this book, this information is from Teach Me to Play With You. And so get your hands on a copy of that book if you need it. All right, so back to transitions. So 
what is a transition? A transition is any time that we are asking a child to move from one activity or one point of focus to another. So a kid might get mad when you ask him to leave a certain place. So let's say that you are at McDonald's and he's not ready to go yet and you're saying you have to put on your shoes, you know, you've been in the little play area, and he just gets mad and throws a royal fit, that's difficulty with transition. He's not ready to move on to the next thing. It could be that you're asking him to put away a preferred toy. So let's say that he has, oh gosh, I have a, uh, had a little boy years and years ago, like 2002, 2003, and he was pretty obsessed with school buses. And seeing a school bus, he would get really excited. But we, and I knew that he liked that. His mom said he's had has fashion, fascination with that. And so, any time that we would be doing a little unit on transportation, or you know, whatever, or even when I saw him individually too, he's on my own caseload in addition to coming to our group program. But anytime I brought out the school buses, which I like to use because he loved it, and bus was one of his first real words but he had such a hard time moving on from those school buses and so you kind of have to balance with sometimes with those kids do I do what he really 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 loves or do I hold that back because today might not be a day that once we start he he can't let it go and his mom would talk about his fascination with school buses and of course because he liked that she bought him toy school buses and anytime that I would bring out those school buses I would know, boy, I better be ready for some after this, that the thing that comes next better be so good that he is going to willingly, without a you know 45-minute meltdown here, move on to the next thing. So that's what we're talking about with transition. So transition also, again, at your home might just be getting into the tub. And, and this is what's so confusing for parents. They'll say things like, he loves the bathtub once he gets there. I don't understand. And he cries when he has to get out. So why is it so hard to get him in? And then it's so hard to get him out. This doesn't make sense to me. It seems like he would remember that he enjoys it so much that I wouldn't have trouble getting him in. And then it seems like once he's in there and then he doesn't want to get out, it seems like he would remember that he didn't even want to get in there in the first place. That's a transition problem, and that's kind of a classic example. It's not really about the tub. <laughs> it's about inflexibility or about him not being able to move on to the next thing happily, pleasantly, and without a whole lot of ruckus going on. So that that's how we need to explain it to parents. If you're a therapist listening to this, and if you have a child on your caseload that you're working with, that I mean, every time... You have to put something up or go on to the next thing or mom will just say, you know, sometimes on some days they're so bad, I just don't even take him anywhere because I know getting him out of the door is going to be a big struggle and then it's just as hard once we're finally somewhere that he didn't even want to go, getting him to leave. It's not really about the place or the activity. It's about the transition and it's about inflexibility and so that that's what we're talking about and again it could be being upset when a kid has to move from that one daily routine to the next it could be uh, even it could be something like he's sitting there at the table and you have the food in front of him and and you're trying to get him then to do anything you know that that's not really related to exactly what's right there in front of him. You might have trouble getting him to take a drink 
You know, I've had kids that have been so locked in that inflexibility pattern. If it's not something that they initiate, then they're going to not want to do it. So transitions encompasses, a transition would encompass a lot of those different situations. So that's what it looks like. Let's talk about some explanations. Why do kids have difficulty with this? Well, lots of toddlers, even those without developmental delays, have trouble with transitions. And part of this is just a developmental period that children are in when they are toddlers. They are learning that they themselves are their own little people and that they exist outside of mom, usually, or dad. But usually it's it's more about that, that really close connection with, with their parents. And they are learning that they are autonomous and they are independent and they can do their own thing and they can control what happens to them. And so many, many, many toddlers have this difficulty. But here's the kicker. It's amplified in children with developmental delays, especially kids who have social and interaction challenges to begin with. So children who have difficulty relating to other people have more Um, challenges in this area and so we start to look at it so when you have a kid who is talking already and who's following some direction so his receptive language is moving along but you still have this big 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 problem that's very consistent and that's kind of another hallmark of whether you know this is a typically developing little transition problem that's going to be a real temporary problem that's related to this little phase of development that this child is in right now and it will resolve when he moves on to the next little phase when he learns some limits when he can hold himself together and regulate himself enough that he realizes that every little change is not the end of the world as he matures and again typically developing toddlers can move through this They'll have some trouble, but they do move on past this. But but it's when a kid stays locked in this position and when he frequently has these issues and when, let's say you're a therapist and you're, you see him 45 minutes for a session and when 20 minutes of that 45-minute session is spent dealing with the fallout from having to move on to a new activity or convince a child to let this toy go so that we can do something else or when it takes, you know, most of your session to console him and get him back to normal so that you can move on to the next thing. Or if you have to play with the same darn toy or do the same activity for that whole 45 minutes. And again, that's not bad in and of itself. We want children to develop a decent attention span so that they can stay with us. But remember what we said on the last show about short attention spans. The, the They're really common in toddlers. Kids can Uh, by themselves independently focus on something three to six minutes and then beyond that they'll need adult support to stay with it this is sometimes kind of the opposite problem you cannot get a kid to move on without lots and lots and lots of support so look at that hyper focus sometimes hyper focus and inflexibility are, are, are really really hallmarks or markers that there's a bigger developmental issue going on. Um, so know that. And so know that even if he's moving, if a child is moving along with other things and you celebrate that progress and you're so excited about it, but you're still having all these problems with transitions, that's a red flag in and of itself. So what might it mean? 
again, could be typical. You know, he's going to get through it once he learns how to regulate and mature. But it's a big, big marker for autism. And actually, inflexibility is one of the characteristics that we look at with children to determine, you know, is this autism or is this not? And if you're looking at the official diagnostic criteria, excuse me, for autism spectrum disorder from the DSM-5, if you're looking at that official, you know, this is what children with autism, you know, they have to have this many characteristics out of this whole list. It's actually listed in part B of that with insistence on sameness and inflexible expectations. So not being able to move on to something new without becoming upset is one of curse that lets us know this could possibly be autism. Now, it's not the only one. And if you're interested in learning more about that and in really clarifying in your own minds, especially if you're a therapist, a speech-language pathologist, or a developmental interventionist, or an OT, if you're interested in really, really digging in and understanding all of the diagnostic criteria for autism, get yourself a copy of my course, Is It Autism? And in part one of that, we walk through the DSM-5 in great detail for um, autism. And so you'll really, really understand and you won't have questions anymore about, mm, would this kid get a, this diagnosis if he saw a developmental pediatrician or a team of professionals? You know, I mean, you don't have to feel that uncertainty with would he or wouldn't he get the diagnosis. We'll walk through that. But I do want to mention that that certainly is one of the characteristics for children with autism. Kids with sensory processing differences, which can also be a part of autism, but it can also stand alone. So a lot of times kids with sensory differences and sensory challenges with how they relate to incoming input will also have lots and lots of difficulty with transitions. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're on the spectrum. But my point about this was if you have a kid who's moving along, but this is still a big, big, big part of his delay, if it's still really interfering with his ability to participate and play with you or get through the day, or certainly if it affects how he performs or, or participates in community or school, little preschool activities, look closely at autism and look closely at to see if there are other red flags that would make you really, really concerned about that. And again, let me say, as I'm emphasizing that, it doesn't always mean autism, though. So I, I just want to be sure that you, you know that that difficulty with transitions in and of itself, if that's your only thing going on, you've got to have some other things as well to get that autism diagnosis. But it's something that people miss all the time. And lots of therapists will email me and say, I have a kid doing da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and tr difficulty with transitions will be part of that. But then I'll go back and say, have you thought about autism? Are there other red flags? And sometimes we don't see that as early as we should, and we don't think about it because a kid might have some strengths in some other areas. So I just wanted to uh, point you to that. So other kinds of kids who have difficulty, we mentioned autism, we mentioned sensory processing disorder. Sometimes that just, it's just kind of a personality thing. They're just kind of headstrong or that's just their temperament. They just have really strong personalities. I bet I, I bet I had a little bit of difficulty if I didn't, when I was two, <laughs> because I have one of those strong personalities. 
and maybe you too. Maybe you can kind of say, hmm, maybe I did this as well. But here's the kicker. You know, even though it's a personality thing, or even if it's related to a specific developmental diagnosis, we still have to help kids move on. We still have to help them find a way to be able to get through their days without everything being so difficult and such a challenge, especially if you're listening and if you're a mom and you have a kid who's struggling with transitions, you know what a big deal this can be and how disruptive it can be. And certainly if you're a classroom teacher or a therapist, you've experienced this with children. So let's move on now and talk about what we can do when children have difficulty with transitions. First of all, as a speech-language pathologist, let's talk about the language piece. We have to keep our language super simple during transitions so that a kid doesn't get lost in our words and doesn't understand what's coming next. So when we try to over-explain things, especially when there's a child has a receptive language problem, remember we've talked about that a lot in the last several uh, shows in this series, how we can overwhelm a kid just by using language that's above his head. And remember we said, we always use the example that he doesn't understand what you're saying. You might sound like wah, 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 or the fan, or, you know, you're just noise. He, he doesn't attach meaning to your words. So when you go on and on and on and on, you could actually contribute to the problem that the child is having with transitioning, and he can get overstimulated just because you're not being simple and direct enough. So be sure that you're using keywords and short phrases and help him, again, know what's coming next with your words, go into a full dialogue with explaining so that he just no longer cares or can tolerate what you're talking about because it's just too much for him. Sometimes children like that, picture schedules can be really effective because they'll help a child see it. And so if language isn't making much sense to him, but you show him a picture of what you're about to do next, that can be really, really effective. And so many preschool programs and so many programs specifically targeted to our little friends with autism or red flags for autism will use picture schedules because then kids don't have to rely solely on what you say. So if they have that comprehension issue or an auditory problem, you know, they can't process what you're saying, they don't understand it, or when it's so overstimulating for them to try to listen, 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 pictures can really turn it around for this kind of kid because he sees the representation of what you want him to do, and it's a big sense of, oh, okay. And then he, he's ready to move on because he knows what comes next. And again, he didn't just have to rely on what you're saying. Now, I've written about setting up picture schedules at Teach Me to Talk. And we're not going to talk too much more about that right now because that's beyond the scope of the show. But if you don't understand that or if you've never used that before or you're not, you, want, you want more information, you can just go to teachmetotalk.com and search picture schedule. And there's a whole section about using pictures and how effective that can be in Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, if you need more information about that. All right, so that's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to look at our language, keep it really, really simple. We're going to give a ton of visual cues. And we talked about pictures, but listen, sometimes it's just as effective to show a kid. So let's say that you are in a session, and let's say that you have been playing with a particular toy for longer than necessary, and you realize, gosh, you know, mm, this is 
pointing to inflexibility here. This kid is, is wanting to hang on and hang on and hang on, but when we really just kind of <laughs> has lost his effectiveness because he's no longer including me, he's just zoned in on this toy. I feel like I need to move on so that we can do some, accomplish some different things and, and work on some different aspects that we're supposed to be addressing today. So you need to move on, and if you can't do it with that particular toy, you, you know that you're ready, but the kid can't let it go. Sometimes just showing him the next possibility for what he could do is super effective. So for kids like this, let's go back to my little guy that I was using about the school bus. I did this a lot where I knew he wasn't going to be able to put the school bus down unless I had something super fun to come next. So I would a lot of times just make a big deal about bringing out the next activity. So in the group program, you know, it could have been just, uh, we'll talk about this in a second, but singing the song, whatever our transition song is to lead into the next activity. He responds to that pretty well. Sometimes it's just making, you know, like I said before, using the fanfare and presenting the next activity, you know, like, ooh, Carson, let's do this, and really showing him that next thing. And, again, you've got to be excited yourself to make it worth it for the child to move on. You've got to give him a reason to get excited about that next activity. And again, just kind of think about how you would feel if you had to let go of and not do your very favorite thing in the world. You better not have something boring coming next or you're going to be disappointed or frustrated. So kind of remember that. Use some empathy when you're thinking about helping him move on. And that sometimes will help a parent kind of put this in perspective. You know, as moms, oh, boy, we get so frustrated and, and just so hurried in our, you know, oh, we've got to do this next. You know, it is time to eat. We have got to go eat. We've got to turn this movie off. And we just kind of go into that with, you know, you're going to turn this off, buddy. We're turning this off right now. I don't care what you say. I don't care how much you fuss. We're turning it off. It's time to eat. Come on. And you kind of pull the kid kicking and screaming when you could have made a switch and a change in your own presentation of that and, and made it you're like, oh, my goodness, I have something so yummy for you. Let's go. And you may even you know, bring the juice box in or his sippy cup or his plate to say, oh, it's time to eat so that he really sees. So you're just showing him the thing that comes next. And those visual cues, again, can be highly effective, particularly for children who don't always understand what you're saying. And remember, many of our, our little friends don't. And many times it's not that they don't understand the particular word. It's just that in conversational speech, all of that meaning gets lost. They're not really understanding, even though they might understand eat and whatever food you're saying, you know, are you ready for your chicken nuggets? They understand what that means, but in the context of everything that's going on around them, they can't always pick out that word. So showing them what comes next can be really, really effective, and it's so simple. And this won't work for every single kid, but for lots of kids it will. And I've seen a lot of moms have tons of success just with me saying, look, with this transition, you've got to show him. He's got to know what's coming next, and it's going to be a lot easier for him to happily move from outside to inside. You know, if that's been the deal, he wants to stay on the swings, but you need him to go inside. I, I always say to mom, you know, make it worth it for him. Show him. Show him what, what he, if he leaves the slide, and then he's going to be 
um, more participatory with you and and want to do it. He's more motivated, so it can make a big, big difference. All right, the next thing that I want to talk about is really developing a transition routine. So this is where you're giving advanced warning in the same way that you are ready to move on. Now, there are a lot of ways you can do it. You can do it with words. Or you're saying something like, you know, one more minute and this is all done. Or, you know, be sure that you're giving your visual cues with that, you know, where you're holding up your finger for one. And, again, a kid's not going to understand that at the beginning because it's so symbolic. But over time, if you consistently give that verbal notification, you know, one more time or one more minute and then we're all done, they'll start to realize and really connect meaning with that with, oh, that means we're about to move on. And sometimes with kids who've had trouble with transitions, you know, I start using the one more time or one more minute. And as soon as I do that, they're like looking around for the next thing. So they've realized, oh, that, when she does that, that means we're moving on to the next thing. And and parents will say, man, I've been doing that thing that you do like holding up your finger and saying one more time I've been cueing him that way and I cannot believe how well that works and so again just some these little tips these little changes that we make will really really help a child and make a big big difference now another thing that you could do for your transition routine that a lot of therapists do you know certainly you can use a picture like we've already talked about but sometimes therapists will use a timer and parents will do this too and and let me just say, I think that can be super effective for some children, but I'm not sure it's as effective with a child who's one or two or even three as it is with an older kid, an older preschool kid or a school-age kid. Now, if you are having incredible success with it, I want you to email me and tell me how you do it. <laughs> Because I've tried timers at various points in my career with various children, usually when all this other stuff hasn't worked, and I think, well, I'm just going to give this a go. Let's just see. Or especially if a kid has a highly attuned auditory system, meaning that he kind of notices sounds and he responds, you know, he alerts when he hears the ding, you know, then I'll think, mm, maybe I should try a timer with this. So that might be an indication that that strategy will work. But for a lot of little guys that we work with that I've tried it with, it hasn't been as effective as I wanted it to be. But I know it can be super effective when a kid is cognitively mature enough and for kids who, again, have those auditory strengths so that they listen for that little sound and that they, you know, it kind of makes it more objective too. It's not even really you or mom saying it's time to move on. They kind of accept it sometimes like, well, the, you know, it dinged. That means it's time for me to move on. So it, it, for some kids, it can really, really, really work. But if you're a speech pathologist and, a, and let's say you're a new therapist and you think a timer is going to be super effective for all your kids, eh, I'm not sure that it would work as well as these other things do. But I wanted to mention it because for some children, it's a very effective strategy. So you might say, let's say that he really likes playing with his trains. And you know, you know, I want to let him play with the trains because he loves the trains. But I also know that we can't play with the trains for four hours. <laughs> that we need, if you're a mom, we need to move on with something else to do. So try the timer 
and set it for, you know, let's say you're giving your verbal notification. You're saying, you know, one more minute and then we're all done, you know, and let him see you set the timer. And then you'll say, you know, when it beeps, the trains are all done, you know, and then when you hear the beep, I make a big deal about saying beep, 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 uh-oh, what's that? That we're all done. It's time to put the trains away. Let's clean up trains. And so you're still using your language. You're still keeping it simple. You're still talking about what's really happening there. You're still giving him the words for, hey, you know, that was the beep. That's that's what we were talking about, again, without saying it like that. But, you know, oh, did you hear the beep? And you're really going to tie that in. You have to be super consistent. You can't just use the timer once or twice and then not bring it out again for a few days and then expect the toddler to remember what that was. You need to use it, and you need to probably use it in thing, in consistently meaning for things that aren't just problematic. Because some kids, when you do that, they see the timer, and then they automatically get mad because they think, oh, you know, this is what I love, and she's making me – I know she's going to make me give it up because there's that darn timer again. So if you're introducing it with a kid, you need to be fairly consistent with when you use it, not just for things that are problematic. Use it so he can really get used to it and respond to it without falling apart and without the timer uh, causing more problems than, than you would want. So that's another strategy. All right, let's talk about this really common technique of using a first-then strategy, meaning that you're going to say, you know, first we clean up, then we can have a popsicle. Or first we, uh, gosh, whatever you want to say here, first we take a bath, then we can read a book. Or, you know, first we brush our teeth, then we can whatever comes next. Here's the kicker with that, the first then. Kids with receptive language issues may not understand the complexity of that promise. They don't understand temporal words, meaning words that represent time, like first and then. So you can't really expect this strategy to be effective unless a child is fairly advanced with his receptive language. And I would probably say more in the 30 to 36-month range so nearly three, with where his ability to understand. And here's the truth, guys. For lots and lots of kids with language delays, they're even going to be older than that before the strategy makes more sense because they don't have the emotional regulatory experience or stability to be able to move on to that, even if they had the language piece. So if you're suggesting that strategy to parents, be sure that you're not trying to to talk about that strategy for a kid who's still developmentally 12 months, 18 months, even 24 months, because they're not there yet from a developmental perspective. So save that strategy. If you do have a kid that's that's closer developmentally, not chronologically, but developmentally to three, and you're t- that that may be something that you can do. So it's a possibility, and you may be able to kind of train it even even when you think a kid is close but not quite there yet. You may be able to start the first then strategy, or if you do this, then we get this that conditional promise. You may be able to get that going. You know, if a kid is right on the verge of say, you know, turning three, but you know, receptively, he's just not quite there. You may be able to really, really teach those concepts through this. But usually, because your focus, your focus here really isn't understanding language. Your focus here is getting them to move on to the next thing. So getting them through the transition and helping them learn to be flexible and and 
not so rigid in what they want to do and what their expectation for how their little day is going to play out. If you're really thinking about the transition problem, you probably don't want to use the first in strategy because, again, you kind of muck it all up with the expectation that, gosh, I've got to get him to understand these words and move on to the next thing. So do you see how that might be creating even more of a problem than you already have? So really, really make sure that you are tailoring your strategies to match the child's developmental level. So, And that's what goes on with first in. That's you know, a lot of times therapists will, and I'll tell you the truth, a lot of ABA therapists, in my experience, have tried to use that strategy, and it's just too early. A kid just can't understand it, that much language yet, or that uh, from a cognitive perspective, that, that conditional promise, I've got to do this, I do A and then I get B, he doesn't get it yet. So be sure that you are um, thinking about that when you are suggesting strategies and implementing strategies with a particular child. All right, let's talk about predictability with transition. So here's our next strategy. We will use a predictable routine, and we've already talked a little bit about transition routines when we were talking about the timer and things like that, but let's talk about other things we can do that seem to work with lots and lots and lots of kids. And again, it could be a kid just with a sensory issue or a kid with you know, primarily a language issue that we've just got a little lag in maturation here or we're just helping this kid move on. And certainly our little friends with autism respond to this as well. But using just the same little songs can be so effective for kids who have difficulty moving on to the next activity. So let's think about, and again, singing is so relevant for so many kids because they may totally tune out what you're saying to them and they may not be responsive to language at all and then you start to sing and they really, really tune in. I mean, that really captures their attention. And you know this strategy will be more effective if you can see a child's attention change other times by hearing songs. So let's take an example. Let's say that you are working with a child or if you're a parent, you're doing something with your kid and the TV's on in the background and you don't even really know the TV's, you don't even notice it's just kind of background to you. But then all of a sudden his favorite commercial comes on and he totally switches his entire focus to tune into that TV, to really look at what's going on there. That lets you know, oh, Songs can be effective. I can use music to redirect his attention when I need him to do that. And so for kids like that, you just come up with little songs, you know, and you may not use the same song for every routine. I teach parents lots of songs and, lot, you know, we kind of problem solve what they should do or what their, 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 what the parents strategy or the parents thing should to do you know before bedtime we're going to do this before mealtime we're going to do this before bedtime we're going to do this and and those may not be problematic it might be something as specific you know a specific behavior you know let's say a little girl doesn't want to brush her teeth and so we might come up with a transition song that makes toothbrushing more fun for her or at least tolerable for her so again really really tailor it so let me give you some ideas for the songs that I have seen really, really work that I use have used with children on my own caseload, hey, I use these things with my own kids. I think I've shared this example before. You know, I would I've just got so ingrained with doing some of these. You know, sometimes my children were older and now they're all adults, but even when they were 
say seven or nine or, you know, 12. And I would still try to use one of these little strategies. They would say, please do not talk to me in that therapy voice. Or please do not try to baby me right now. That is no, mom. And it's just so funny how you try, when things are going wrong, you kind of fall back to, oh, what worked before? Let me see what I can try. So, again, you can use these songs for a long, long time. And I've seen them be effective with lots of different children and lots of different families. So let's talk about some of these these transition songs and routines that you can use. First of all, we mentioned last week on the show when we were talking about short attention spans. Remember how we were talking about during cleanup time that we would use cleanup time with any toy or activity to extend the child's attention for that particular activity so that let's say that he just wanted to he wanted to play with blocks and he was done with blocks after about 45 seconds and you wanted a way to keep him with you a little bit longer with the blocks and again the purpose of this is to extend his attention to help him focus longer on one particular and so we remember we said that we would develop a cleanup routine because that would help him with his short attention span and then remember we also said that these cleanup routines really, really help with receptive language because you're giving the child specific directions to follow. He has lots of opportunities for practice because you're cleaning up as a therapist through your whole session. You play with one thing, you work on all your language stuff, you do all you want to do, and then you're ready to move on, but you still use that cleanup time as a way to extend his participation in that one particular activity to make his attention span better, before you're moving on and then you also use that activity to include some additional receptive language practice so that let's say you're doing a puzzle and he's put all the pieces in and you're ready to put the puzzle away and so you work on the receptive language piece by saying you know get the boat get the car find the train you know where's the truck and so you're also using that cleanup time to really target receptive language well here the same little concept with, hey, we're going to put all everything in this Ziploc bag, or we're going to put it, if you're a mom, we're going to put everything in this basket or in your toy box, or we're going to take all these toys to your room, or we're going to put all this on the shelf, whatever, whatever place. Using that routine also helps with transitions because it's something that the child does over and over and over and over, and he just comes to expect that to be part of what he does, and it makes it very, very predictable for him. And remember, what are these kids like? who won't transition. They like routines. They like things done in the same pattern all the time. They really like sticking to that. So coming up with a cleanup routine is so effective because it kind of gets the kid moving toward transitioning without without it even really being about you or about him. It's just what he thinks comes next. So getting, or what he knows comes next. So getting that cleanup routine is established. We talked about on last show singing that darn song from Barney. <laughs> you know, clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere. Clean up, clean up, everybody do your share. But it doesn't matter. You don't have to sing that song. I think I talked about last week that I had a mom who would say, put it away. And she said it the same, with the same tone every single time. So even if her child, who was really, really, significantly delayed with his ability to understand language. It was just the prosody, the the intonation, put it away. He started to really understand that because mom said it the same way every time. 
So think about something. Think about just come up with your own thing. But here's the kicker. You've got to be consistent. So whatever your little cleanup song is, be sure that you're using it over and over and over and over so that he starts to link meaning with that and attach, oh, this is what we're supposed to do when I hear this. When I hear her sing this, this is what we're going to do. And so think about consistency when you are implementing this with a parent. And listen, let me tell you, if you're a therapist and a parent already has a, some sort of cleanup routine going or song, don't try to change it to yours. <laughs> Let her do it. You know, if she already says, hey, I've sort of been singing this song or this is a song I sang with my older child, what do you think? By all means, embrace what the mom already does and what she's already comfortable with because she will be more likely to be able to continue that with uh, her child because it's already familiar to her and it's something that she has come up with on her own. So that's kind of the, the crux for how we'll do all of these things. Come up with a little song that's representative of what you want the kid to do. And again, if you're not much of a singer, don't worry about that. You do not have to have a beautiful voice. I just sang for you my little cleanup song. And, you know, again, I am no, uh, you know, Beyonce here. And kids really don't care how you sound. So so do that. And again, remember the the part that it's not really how you sing. It's that you're changing what the kid hears. And that's remember how engaging music is for so many kids. So if you have a kid who responds to that already and who likes it when you sing already, this is just a natural extension of that strategy. All right, so let me give you some different examples. When I ran that playgroup program that I mentioned previously, we had little songs that let kids, that signaled to kids, hey, it's time to move on to this. So we kind of came up with several little songs throughout the course of our little two-and-a-half-hour session that alerted them to what comes next. So one of the things that we sang a lot is to the tune of Do You Know the Muffin Man. Do you remember that song? So we would sing, you know, do you know what time it is, what time it is, what time it is, do you know what time it is, it's. And then usually snack time is one that we always sang that song for. But you could fill it in. You could adapt it for bath time. You could adapt it for um putting on shoes, you know, and again, it doesn't have to make complete sense to you, <laughs> like it's not a strategy that you, that you would use with an older child or, you know, with your husband, but it is something that will work for a toddler. So that's a good one, the do you know what time it is, what time it is, what time it is, do you know what time it is, it's, and then fill in the blank. And I really do think that um, you can interchange some of these, but it's most beneficial, especially for children with receptive language delays, that you have different songs for different little activities. But I'm not a stickler on that. You can decide based on the child's abilities if you can interchange that word that comes at the end. You know, so you could think it's bath time, it's snack time. That may be too close for some kids, though, to really differentiate those meanings there. So, again, you're going to have to use your own judgment. Uh, I also sing this one, and I remember this little girl named uh, Layla that I worked with a long time ago, and I already referred to her earlier because she um, had a lot of trouble brushing her teeth, and so we had to work hard on getting her, her I don't want to say desensitized, but getting her normalized so that she could brush her teeth. And, again, this is related to her sensitivity around her mouth, you know, that tactile defensiveness when her mom would touch her mouth, try to hold her head down to brush her teeth or 
the toothbrush. She didn't like how that felt. And a lot of kids have difficulty with that. And so we just made up this little, you know, it's time to brush your teeth. It's time to brush your teeth. We've had some fun at play today. It's time to brush your teeth. Now, let me just say, she was a kid who loved music, and so this was kind of her hot button already, and this may not work with every kid. And I have had some children that, you know, we've tried songs with, and they totally freak out because music isn't as relevant to them, or their aversion to the next activity is so great that a song is not going to do it. (laughs) It's not going to make everything instantaneously better. But for some children, it really, really will. And so, again, I like talking with moms about, you know, what's the problem, what's going on, and addressing, you know, the heart of that with that little girl with not brushing her teeth really was tactile sensitivity. But she also had difficulty transitioning to that activity. So there were kind of two things going on. So you have to adjust your strategies to meet Everything. So, again, don't just think the song's going to fix everything, but it certainly is part of dealing with whatever that's going to, uh, whatever event is causing the problem and it's making the child not want to move on. So, that's a good one. That to the tune of Farmer and the Dell. Um, with kids, here's another version of a song. You know, here we go around the mulberry bush. You know, this is the way we. Uh, and again, that song, I think, originally goes, I don't even know what the original version is because I've sung it so long. However, I want it to be my version. But you might sing, you know, this is the way we put on socks, put on socks, put on socks. Or, you, again, you could do brush your teeth here. You could do wash your arms. You could do wash your hair for kids who do not want to wash their hair. You know, and you've gotten their little bodies ready. They've had a lot of fun in the tub You've gotten them really calm and regulated, and then you know, "Mm, here it comes. I'm about to wash her hair. Sometimes adding this piece in, especially if they like music, you know, this is is the way we wash your hair, wash your hair, wash your hair. It just alerts her, and it may even take the pressure off and some of the focus off. Mom is pouring water on my head and rubbing her hands up there, and I don't necessarily like that. Sometimes adding the song can take the focus off the unpleasant part of the activity, so it's certainly something you can try. And remember, you could do this for change your diaper, go inside, wash your face, wash the table, eat our lunch, you know, whatever. Just use it as a way to get through the transition or get that next activity started. All right, let's talk about saying goodbye and leaving a favorite place or a favorite person or a favorite activity. I use my little bye-bye song here. Kid is obsessed with markers, and you need to put the markers away, and it's a big fight every time he wants to put the markers away. Singing, you know, bye-bye markers, bye-bye markers, bye-bye markers. It's time to say bye-bye. That's a good one. I use that routine a lot when I'm leaving a kid's home, if I'm still seeing him for a home visit, or if they're come, if um, kids who would come to our office, kids who don't want to get out the door, it's certainly a way to kind of signal, hey, this is what's about to happen, kind of whether we like it or not. And it is a way to take the edge off that for some kids. I've had some moms really sing the bye-bye song all day, every day for a couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden their kids start to try to join in. And that's how we facilitate the word bye-bye because we've modeled it 
so much in context with whatever we're doing. So that's another fun little song that can help make that uh, bye-bye routine easier. Let's talk about when parents leave. And I know if you're a parent, if you're listening and you're thinking, how can this work for me? My kid throws a big tantrum every time he sees me leave. Let's just talk about why that is. A lot of times kids don't really realize that you're coming back. So remember we've talked about object permanence means that a child knows that the object exists even when he can't see it. Well, that concept is at the heart of what's going on with lots of kids when they have that difficulty separating from their parents. But then, again, it's magnified because it's the most important person in the world to them is not going to be with them over an extended period of time, and they know that, and they are upset about it, and they're going to let you know that they are upset about it too. So you may have to come up with a little goodbye routine that helps ease that transition. Parents have done all kinds of things. I've seen parents do high fives and fist bumps. I've seen parents do some little dances. I've seen parents even talk to their child or kids who are really dependent on pictures have maybe a picture of what they're going to do when they get back. But remember now you've got to make sure the kid kind of understands that, that if then kind of thing. Let me tell you what I did with my little girl. And this is, I wrote this in Teach Me to Play With You. And today it was so sweet when I was getting ready for the show. And I haven't thought about this little routine that I did with our child who's turning 21 and she had a really hard time with me leaving her. And so we developed this little uh, routine, and it's based on a book that I read a long time ago uh, with a mom, mama raccoon that's leaving the baby raccoon. And But I modified it a little bit. So I always wear lipstick, and so I would just kiss the back of my daughter's hand and left that little imprint there. And I would tell her, you know, there's mama's kissy, and I'll be back before your kissy's gone. And she didn't have any trouble with language. She's, you know, a really, really smart kid. And so that she understood that. And so she could see my little lipstick print there on her hand. And I would, I was friends with um, women who taught her in our at church, like in our little Sunday school classes. And then her, I would always get to know her preschool teachers. And they would say, oh, you know, we can, we can tell Macy's really missing you because, boy, she was really rubbing her little hand today or she was – uh, a lot of times they would say that she would kiss the lipstick print, which oh, just melts my heart now, thinking about my grown-up baby doing that when she was two and three and four. But come up with whatever your little routine is. And for some kids, that's really comforting to have a reminder that, oh, yeah, my mom's going to be back, and that helps them kind of get through it and process through it. Uh, some kids, <laughs> that may make it a little bit worse. So we always have this discussion with parents, too. And, again, this is why we say every kid is different because their responses can be dramatically different. Sometimes moms try to sneak out on their kids because they think that's going to make it better if he doesn't even realize I'm here. And for some kids, that's what you do because that is better. I don't really like that, leaving in secret, and a kid all of a sudden looks up. But, boy, if I have a kid who has a just a, just a terrible time adjusting to his mom leaving when he knows she's going to leave and he's fine if he doesn't know she's going to leave I, I'm going with the fine option I'm going with the one that worked so there's not always one right or wrong way 
to do this kind of thing. But my point here is if you have a kid who's having difficulty transitioning because mom or dad are leaving and has that real separation anxiety, figure out what could be a routine that would make it a little bit easier for him. But I've seen some parents who had their kids in daycare or leave them, you know, somewhere for an extended period of time. Sometimes they'll include a little picture of mom or dad or with the child that he can look at. And, again, you're just going to have to see, does this make this better for this child or does it make it worse? And you'll have to really base your plan and your recommendation, if you're a therapist, to a parent. And if you're a parent, you know, deciding what you're going to do, you're just going to have to see what works. But, listen, let me say, give it some time. You can't know if something is going to be effective the first, you know, couple of times you do it. You have to try it out for a little bit. Now, if it's a total disaster from the beginning, you may switch a little sooner, but you can just gauge, you know, is this a bigger reaction? Is this less of a reaction? You know, where am I moving on this continuum here? Is, is, am I making this better or worse with this transition routine? And adapt it and just see if you can um, tweak what you're already doing or introduce something totally new and then give it some time to work, and then if it's not really working as, and it's not as effective as you would want it to be, certainly you can pull it back and try something different at that point. But give it a little bit of time so that a child can adjust and can, again, attach meaning to what that, that transition song or routine signals for him. And he's not going to understand it the first time or two you do it, probably, particularly for the kids that we're talking about. They have developmental challenges. And so if there's a receptive language delay as a component of this child's issue or a cognitive delay, you're going to have to give it some time so that a child can learn what that routine or song or picture means and give him some time to really adjust to that and some practice so that he can learn uh, what that means. All right, so we spent the whole hour today, the whole podcast episode, talking about difficulty with transitions. I hope that I've given you some new ideas to try. Remember that you can uh, consult my book, Teach Me to Play With You, and get the full written version of that. And again, I'd love to hear your feedback. If you have transition routines that have been wildly successful, boy, do I want to hear from you. You can email me at Laura at teachmetotalk.com. Have a great week, and we'll be back next time. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.